as it is my custom, I do like to talk about signs of the times. But these signs of the times will have to do with health. Um, as you may be aware of, October is Adventist Heritage Month. And so during this month, the different presentations are dealing with different things that have come to be attached to Seventh-day Adventism. Last week, we talked about the Sabbath in the sanctuary, and this week it was going to be health. And there will be continuing Sabbaths dealing with some of the historical movements moments that happened in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So in keeping with that, and that this Sabbath is going to be about health, I thought we would talk about things like cholera. Why are we seeing cholera? Is not cholera something that could be easily overcome? Now I could put uh, Dr. Frank Lavosi on the spot and say, okay, he's going to be my expert witness, and we'll come back to him on this stuff, but cholera, isn't that often something that happens because you have tainted water and some other kinds of things that people take into them? And there is probably going to be a severe cholera outbreak where? According to the news that we've been hearing, where is there a good possibility for a cholera outbreak? In Haiti. Yeah. Now you would think maybe Florida, but generally speaking in the United States, we have a lot of things in place that would combat a spread of cholera. But if you're in a third world country, you don't always have those resources and those abilities to make sure that the people can get clean, fresh water to drink and aren't also with sewers backing up and all kinds of things that make this disease common. And we can expect more of this outbreak happening, why? Because there's gonna be more natural resources or more natural disasters happening all the time. And a lot of them will hit areas of the planet that don't have the resources to combat it. And then I was hearing on the, uh, on the radio this week, they're bringing back this idea of resistant bacteria. So what is resistant bacteria? What's bacteria? I guess we should find out first. What's bacteria? And then we can figure out what resistant bacteria. But bacteria is something that brings often different kinds of diseases to us. And we had through modern science and chemistry developed antibiotics or, bi or things that we could take that would fight against these bacteria that would cause us harm. But now we have resistant bacteria. Why? Yeah. Because there's been an indiscriminate use of these antibiotics all over the place and then not always used properly, so that if your doctor says, I want you to take this for 10 days, and you say, well, I'm feeling much better after day five, and I don't really like those things, and I can't remember to take them on time anyhow, so I'm not gonna take them. And now this thing that should have been killed if you'd have taken for 10 days isn't quite all killed, 
and it morphs into something that says, I'm not going to let that pill get me next time. And so now you have resistant bacteria. And of course, some of the other things that happen is how are our meat industry solving potential problems? Because they give their flocks and cattle antibiotics, and so when you are eating these flocks and cattle, you are taking into you what? Antibiotics for no particular good purpose, and there are little bacteria swimming around and saying, boy, isn't this a picnic? <laughs> so these are not good things that are happening to us. But cancer, do you understand what it is that causes cancer? See, some time ago, maybe because of all this stuff that we've done with bacteria and discovering viruses and all of these kind of things, we kind of thought that cancer must be something that invades us from outside of us. But some time ago, researchers, medical researchers, have discovered that cancer isn't something that comes from outside of us. It's something going wrong inside of us, that our very own cells begin to do bizarre things. And not because they're infected with a bacteria or a virus, they just have lost their right kind of genetic code and they begin to multiply unrestricted. Now all cells need to divide and multiply, but something happens in certain organs or systems of our body where suddenly the cells, they don't have the shutoff valve. No one is hitting the switch. And so they just keep dividing and dividing, and now you've got tumors, and they're growing here, and they're growing there. And these tumors are sucking all the energy out of the rest of your body. And so, interestingly, some time ago, some researchers took a Petri, Petri dish. Petri dish. Now, do you know what a Petri dish is? Yeah, some of you know, but I don't know why they call it a dish. It looks more like a bowl to me, but anyhow, they call it a dish. But yeah, you know, it, it looks more like a bowl where you put your liquid you know, in there and it stays there. And they added into this Petri dish mix some cancer cells and some healthy cells because they wanted to see how the cancer cells would mess around with the healthy cells, only to find out that the healthy cells ended up destroying the cancer cells. Now this puzzled them. Why could this be? They're expecting cancer to defeat healthy. No, healthy cells are defeating cancer cells. Now I may not have this quite right, and so I'll no doubt get a scolding from some of the doctors as we leave today, so you'll just have to bear with me. So what it is, after doing this again and again and again, they discover that the healthy cells somehow discover that they have this bad cell and they secrete an enzyme, I'll call it an enzyme, or little, other little cells that go from them to the cancer cells and they have, pardon my kind of explanation, they have spears and they go and they poke 
all of these cancer cells with the spears, and the cancer cells go like a pin in a balloon. Boom. Cancer cell dead, and it's gone. And they're saying, wow, why is this that healthy cells can destroy cancer cells? Now, in the Petri dish, they had ideal situation. But more and more, let's say, medical researchers are beginning to look deeper and deeper, and have been for some years. And I know Stanford University is putting a lot of money and energy into working on this idea. How can we make the immune system so much stronger and cleverer to discover when there is a cancer cell that the immune system will do what these healthy cells did, is go to the cancer cells and spear them and kill them. But that has an application, interestingly enough, into the spiritual realm. Because our sin problem is not something that comes outside of us. Our sin problem comes from something inside of us. And what we need is a much better spiritual immune system to detect when our own spiritual cells are not behaving correctly. Well, genetic engineering now that's a phrase that probably wasn't known 20, 30 years ago. There is something that's happened recently, and as I've talked with some of you, you've read it in the paper. A husband and wife were having a real difficult problem with bearing children. It wasn't that they couldn't bear children, it's just after their child was born, Within a very short time, it died in infancy. This happened two or three times. And so this distressed husband and wife were looking for the answers. And they eventually came upon some doctors who figured out that a genetic problem was happening with these children and that they were inheriting this genetic problem that then would kill them in their early life. And so these doctors recommended a, a procedure that I understand is not legal in America, so they went to Mexico. And what it was is they said on this genetic code, this you know long string of genes, that there was a certain malfunction at this tiny, tiny bit and of course, the genes are already tiny, so you're wondering how can you get into the gene that's already so tiny you, can hardly, you can't see it with your own eyes, you have to have super microscopes to do it, that that little part of sequence is wrong, and so we're going to snip that out, and we're going to replace it with others that are more proper. But what makes it different is it was a third-party donor. So they didn't take from the father to replace it or the mother to replace it. They took it from a third-party donor and they snipped their little proper gene sequence and snuck it in there and tied it together. And they're hoping that this will work. I haven't read further if the child is growing and developing, but that was their plan. 
they would detect something missequenced in the genes, snip that out, put a new one in. That can be called amalgamation. Now, some of you who read a lot into Ellen White's writings may understand when I say amalgamation. Because in one of Ellen White's writings, she talks about pre-flood men were experimenting with amalgam amalgamation, which is fusing human and beasts, in a sense, their ge genetic code together to produce a different kind of species. And that that was one of the reasons why God said, it's time to take man out. This experimentation, trying to combine animals and mankind together, was in a sense the last straw for mankind. And yet, what is happening in this family in Mexico has all the potential to expand this, because you know it's not going to sit there simply with that kind of experimentation. Others are going to use that same experimentation to create other species, other animal life, crazy, bizarre things. Kind of makes us look like we're close to what? The end. Because we're now going into areas God is certainly not happy with. Well, if we would turn, and it's up to you, to Mark 2, verses 1 to 12, and because time has a way of running fast on me, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to read all those 12 verses. But in Mark 2, verses 1 to 12, we have a healing going on. So, but we'll take our chances. Mark 2. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And there they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it 
is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy, sons be, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. If you recall the readings that we had this morning about health, and actually in Isaiah 58, when it says your health will spring forth speedily, the context is, in keeping with Sabbath. Obeying the Sabbath is part of what helps your health to spring forth speedily. But here, what Jesus is doing is he's combining physical healing with what? Spiritual healing. This is an important concept for God's last day people that there is this connection between physical healing and spiritual healing, such that on June 6, 1863, June 6, 1863, Ellen White receives a huge comprehensive health vision. Now, what was interesting to me is the context in which she receives this health vision on June 6, 1863. Because two weeks earlier, the church formally became the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists in a legal sense. They had made themselves legal with the governmental powers forming a legal corporation, you might call it, called the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. They had done that two weeks earlier to her vision. Now with me, I'm always interested in connections, and I'm saying, why? It would seem because God could have given her that vision any time. I mean, she started getting visions in 1846, and this is 1863. So that's almost 20 years later. Any time in those 18 years, she could have gotten that vision. But it's after the Seventh-day Adventists formally made themselves the general conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Is there something then about the health message that Adventists have been given that can only really be accomplished once there is this formal organization of the worldwide church. That this isn't a health message for individuals to do on an individual basis, but it is the church's responsibility as an organization to bring forth this health message to the whole world, and you can't do it unless you are properly organized and everybody's on board, that this is our church's responsibility to the world. Well, that's one aspect that we have about it. 
So how does a medical doctor diagnose? And the medical doctors and others here, you need to be quiet at the moment. We want no cribbing, no help. So how does a medical doctor diagnose? Carefully, yeah, well, that would be a good idea, yes, he would do that carefully. He's looking at the symptoms. Someone comes in with a problem, and the doctor begins to look at what are the symptoms. Tell me this, tell me that. And when, he, when that person puts all of the symptoms together with some, we would say, good questioning by the medical doctor to get a few more hints of what he may or she may need to make that diagnosis, then they can come to, I understand, based on these symptoms, the cause is likely to be this. Once the doctor decides that the cause is this, what does the doctor then do? He prescribes. He gives a prescription or a treatment plan to address this cause to cure the symptoms and whatever it is that is disturbing the patient. So, God, the Lord God, saw a problem. What was the problem that God saw as the chief medical doctor in heaven? Well, we can look to Isaiah chapter 60, going to verse 2. So if you have your Bibles, we can go to Isaiah chapter 60. And verse 2. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. So as the Lord looks out, and particularly upon these last days, the problem he sees is that the earth shall be covered with darkness and gross darkness the people. So what kind of darkness is this? Sin, or we would call it moral darkness, not physical or material darkness. He's looking at moral darkness. And so he says to himself, how am I going to get a treatment plan for this moral darkness that is covering the earth and this gross darkness that is covering the people? Well, we mentioned this last week. It's found in Psalms 77, 13. So you could turn back to Psalms 77, 13. And in Psalm 77, 13, it says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. So something about the sanctuary and understanding the sanctuary is going to be the prescription or treatment plan for this gross darkness, this moral darkness that is covering the earth. So, 
The cause of the problem and the solution to the problem is found in the sanctuary. So I want you to go with me to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. And we're going to go to verse 18. Ezekiel 28, verse 18. Hmm. It's there somewhere. I don't know. Someone took it out. <laughs> but, okay. Thou hast defiled thy what? Sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. What is God saying here? We went to this other idea, thy way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary. But we come to Ezekiel, and in this passage in Ezekiel, God is talking about Lucifer or Satan and saying, Lucifer you have defiled your sanctuaries by reason of your iniquities. So in a sense, the problem is both in the sanctuary and the solution is in the sanctuary. That Satan defiled his sanctuaries by his iniquities. It's kind of like this cancer thing that I was saying. Something inside suddenly went wrong. It got out of keeping. And the only solution is to take care of it inside that sanctuary, making the healthy cells what they should be. So somehow this evil has come from within Satan, and the only solution to it is to get here, would be to strengthen that which is in him to overcome that which has gone wrong. Because Paul says of our bodies that they are what? the temple of the Holy Spirit or the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. So there's a whole lot more to our sanctuary teaching and doctrine than just that Jesus is moved from the holy place into the most holy place. There's a lot more to be discovered in understanding this concept of sanctuary. So... So what caused him to defile his sanctuaries? Well, it was the iniquities. But if we go the verse above, it says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So even though he had iniquities, what led to these iniquities was the fact that his heart was lifted up because of the, his beauty, and he had corrupted his wisdom by reason of his brightness. Self. Self became the problem. So, the Petri dish. Something inside of us. Question. Now, I get this question, and I have to give credit to Ivor Myers. Do any of you know who Ivor Myers is? Okay, several of you know who Ivor Myers is. Uh, Ivor Myers is a pastor in Central Conference, 
um, who has also developed his own ministry. And he is a phenomenally good preacher. And if you have any access to the internet and you can plug in YouTube, you can search in YouTube for Ivor Myers and you can come up with many presentations that Ivor Myers makes, all of them worth listening to or watching. But he asks this question, was Lucifer Satan cast out of heaven because he sinned? We have a very strong opinion to our left here. And I can see that the rest of you are putting the whole burden upon him. Because you're not, once he said that, the rest of you are saying, okay, he walked into the trap. I'm not going there. Okay. So, in a sense, when Ivor asks this question, he is setting up a little bit of a trap. And it is kind of in that. I mean, the answer seems so obvious. But when you have a pastor like Ivor Myers asking this, you have to go, okay, Ivor, what are you up to? I'm not going there until I know what you're trying to get at. And it's true, it's a yes and a no. And what Ivor does, and what we need to understand, is he goes into the sanctuary, okay? And he's going into the most holy place in the sanctuary. And he's looking at the furniture in there. And he goes to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah, we'll talk about this stuff in it, but technically the Ark is a box. That's all it is. It's a box. You know? And inside the box are some things. And in particular, inside this box that we call the Ark are the Ten Commandments, which is the covenant. This is the agreement between God and man. We're coveting together. God says, this is what I want you to do, and if you do this, this is the blessings I will give you. So they're based on those Ten Commandments. That's the covenant. Those are the promises. Those are the stipulations. Those are what the agreement is about. So you have the Ten Commandments in there. And then he says, what's above this box? The mercy seat. And that's very important to Ivor, that the law of God, which is the foundation of his government, you cannot mess with the law without messing with his government. So this is the foundation. These are the principles upon which his government is based. They're very important. His throne is upon them. They're the foundation, the support of his throne. Those Ten Commandments, that covenant, is what his kingdom is based on. But above that is the mercy seat. And to explain this mercy seat, Ivor goes to a question about when Peter came to Jesus and asked him, how many times should I forgive my brother? Should I do it seven times? Jesus says, no, Peter, 70 times seven is what you should do to forgive him. Now, 
Is there any other place in the Bible where you hear 70 times 7? Yeah, you hear it in Daniel. Because the angel says to Daniel, your people are being given a probationary period of 70 weeks. 70, and a week has how many days? Seven, so you've got 70 times seven. So the same thing that Jesus used to talk to Peter about this period of forgiveness, because that's what Jesus is saying. 40, 70 times seven is a period of forgiveness, and in Daniel we find that Israel is given that same period of time of forgiveness. And Ivor says, that's the mercy seat. You have this probationary period that's the mercy seat. And it certainly fits for Israel. And he takes it to heaven and says, was not Satan Lucifer given a mercy period? Yes, because God is just with all his creation. He's not going to be harder on Lucifer and the angels than he is on man. No, he is eternally, equally just always. Therefore, Lucifer also must have had a period of mercy, a 70 times 7. And Ivor's correct. It's not days or years. It's whatever. That symbolizes whatever period that is of forgiveness and mercy the 70 times 7. So what happened there? Well, according to Ezekiel, Lucifer, having gone against God's law, was given a period of mercy to do what? To repent. Confess and repent and say, Lord, I did sin. Forgive me. And Jesus said, forgiveness is there 70 times 7. And what Lucifer did, based on what Ezekiel says, is that in thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reasons of thy brightness. Lucifer saying, I have not done anything wrong. I am not confessing. I am not repenting. You are the problem, God, not me. At that point, the period of mercy ends. And what then happens to Lucifer? War in, War in heaven, and he is cast out. Where? To the earth. What condition was the earth in? Without form and void. It was the abyss. He is cast here before God creates the rest of the heavens and the earth, and he creates man. And according to Ivor, which I really appreciate, he says then, Lucifer now, or Satan, now watches God do this creation, and he sees him creating mankind, and he understands that this mankind... Adam and Eve and maybe their uh, progeny 
are going to be assigned a special task by God. What do you think that special task will be? They will judge the angels. Because in any court hearing, you have one group contending against the other group. In order to arrive at a fair judgment, you have to have a third party who looks at the two contending parties and makes a decision as to who's right and who's wrong. Therefore, our very creation was to be judges in the what? In the great controversy. So that we could solve this problem that Satan brought in, that we could become the special immune system to the universe. So we have a few trained medical doctors here, but it appears God has a plan for all of us to become the ultimate medical doctors in the universe so that we will always be helping to be the strong immune system so that things don't go wrong a second time. Have you been just dreaming about the day when you could become a doctor? Oh, I didn't think so. It didn't look like you're all excited about that prospect that you get the chance to be a doctor. But that's what's in store for you. So. Getting back then to Ellen's vision, God creates this universe, a material world. What is the significance of God creating this a material world? And by material, I mean you've got elements, rocks, silver, trees, all of these things are material things. They're not spiritual things, they're material things, things you can see, touch, taste, smell the material world. Why does God choose to create this material world in order to help solve a spiritual problem? Because it's through the material that we understand the spiritual. Some of the spiritual concepts without a material basis, just you couldn't grab a hold of them. You couldn't understand them. So he creates this and he allows, in this material world, and in particular man, what kind of things to happen to man. They get sick. They get illnesses. They get attacked. And that attack in the physical is like replicating the attack in the spiritual. So as you understand these things that are attacking your body and making you sick physically, you can begin to understand how things would attack you spiritually. And so God gives to Ellen and the church this huge vision of health work. And out of that vision comes eight really basic things. And what do we call those eight basic things? We call them the eight laws of health. Do we know what those eight laws of health are? Okay, 
She just she took your, yeah, you, you watched her go, yeah, like this. Okay, it's all on her now. The rest of you, you're not going to do this, okay? The eight laws of health. Well, a simple way to remember the eight laws of health is what Weimar did. It put it in a mnemonic device, a memory device, and they call it New Start, so that each letter in those two words would represent one of the eight laws of health. So N represents nutrition, and the E in New represents exercise, and the W represents water, and the S is sunshine, and the T is temperance, which, what is a good definition of temperance? Not all things in moderation. <laughs> you have to balance it. You're kind of right and you kind of... You totally abstain or not touch, not anything to do with that which is harmful. And the good you only use in moderation. So there are two categories. There are things you can't even touch, go near. You have to abstain from them. And the good things you only do moderately. So that's temperance. And then you got A for air and R for rest. And when you think of rest, what do you think of? Sleep, yes. So some, some go right to the basic thing. Sleep, yes, I think of sleep, I want rest there, okay. What's the other thing you think of? The Sabbath, okay. So you want a good night's sleep for rest and you want the seventh day. But God has a bigger plan for rest. Now this isn't talked about much, but it's there. Not only one day a week are you to make it a Sabbath rest, one day a month you are supposed to have a Sabbath rest, which is called the new moons. And both Isaiah and Ellen White talk about we will keep new moons in heaven and on the earth. So you get one day a week, and you also get another day a month. And then based on the harvests, God says, yeah, there's about two and a half weeks I'd like you to also take a rest, about a week in the spring and a week in the fall. So God's really into rest. Some of us aren't so much into rest. And I think that's a real problem for our medical doctors. I don't think they understand rest. They work too hard. And they get themselves all bound up. But rest is a big deal for God. And the final T is what? Trust in divine power. Why is that such a big issue today? What's one of the big things that is overcoming all people everywhere. Fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety for what is coming on us. What are the diseases? What are the natural disasters? What are all of these people who want to go around killing and bombing us? There is constant anxiety and fear. And what does God say when he gives you that final T? Trust in divine power because anxiety can kill you. It will give you heart attacks. It will give you strokes. It'll also make other parts of your organs not work efficiently. Anxiety is a killer, and God says, no, trust in me, which is pretty much the story of Job this quarter, right? Yeah. All the terrible things that happened to Job 
God says to Job, you need to trust me. And at the end, what does Job have to admit? He has to admit, yeah, I really don't understand all this stuff that's going on in this world. The only thing I really need to understand is I need to trust you. And when you trust God, what happens then? Restoration. And it's more than just giving back what you lost. It's giving you more than you could have ever thought or dreamed. So, in order, though, going back to Ellen White's vision, in these last days, we need a healthy spirit in order to understand the deceptions of Satan. But in order to have a healthy spirit, what is it that you need? You need a healthy mind. But in order to have a healthy mind, what is it that you need? You have to have a healthy brain, because your mind is depending upon your brain. If the brain isn't healthy, the mind isn't going to be healthy. So you begin, and in order to have a healthy brain, you need to have a healthy body. That's why the health message becomes so important. You will have a difficult time appreciating, understanding, and following spiritual immune system if you are sick in body and mind. And therefore, the importance of God in the healings that we have read today is you must have a healthy body to have a healthy brain, in order to have a healthy mind, in order to have a healthy spirit. So we are tasked as a church with not only helping the sick, but helping them not get sick. And we ourselves need to practice these very things so that people can see us as a witness Look at those Adventists. They don't get sick. They're always healthy. They're always cheerful. They're always hopeful. I want that. But you can't do that if you're not doing the laws to begin with. And God is saying, if you follow my health laws and see that they work, Will you not trust in my spiritual laws and see that they also work? And some of us have to see the physical before we can believe the spiritual. And so it's important for us to live that healthy lifestyle to the honor and glory and praise to our Lord God. Amen. He was kicked out of heaven because he wouldn't repent. Yeah, he rejected mercy. And in a sense, that's what happened to Israel. Because if you read, well, you started it. It's his fault. It's his fault. So we go to Matthew chapter 23. So you go to Matthew chapter 23. And we go to verse 37. So Matthew 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. They would not come to Jesus and find forgiveness and repentance. Because they would not come to Jesus, like Lucifer would not come to Jesus, and what pretty much makes the whole controversy surrounding Jesus is at the center of this controversy, then Israel goes into desolation, an abyss, a bottomless pit. But this isn't the end of it, because someone else also gets an opportunity. Who next gets the opportunity? It's the church. So the covenant goes from Adam and Eve to Israel. Adam failed, Israel failed. Now the covenant goes to the church, and the church also will fail. And that's where you come into the 1260 years and you come into the 2300 years. Because following the period of mercy is the period of judgment. And the church failed. And so now the whole world is under judgment. And only what comes out of the judgment a remnant. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Only a remnant will come out of the judgment, because the vast majority of the world will refuse, like Israel refused and like Satan refused, to take advantage of the period of mercy. Now, I guess we have a closing hymn. 604. Yes. 
watch and be ready, He will come. Hallelujah, hallelujah, He will come in the clouds of His Father's bright glory. But we Father, it has been good to be here this Sabbath morning, and we thank you for your grace and mercy and goodness to us. And let your blessing continue to be on us for the rest of this Sabbath day, and to bring us back again, that we may truly give you the honor and praise that you are deserving, is our prayer in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.